Father, uh, we thank you again for the privilege we have to gather around your word and we just ask that you help us to take from it that which you would have us learn this morning, that we can respond to it and use it to our blessing and to your glory. We realise it's your word that we want to hear, not necessarily mine. I might be speaking it, but let it be your words that we hear as we ask it in your precious name. Amen. How well do we know God? You might say, well, I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I know God very well. I'm sure you do. But we never fully know anybody, do we? But you know there are people outside who have some really weird ideas about God and who God is. And I want you to think about this. You see, if we were to go out onto the street, you might ask somebody, can a God of love hate? That's a question. Can a God of love hate? Some might ask the question, how can a God of love hate? I would say, listen carefully to this. If God didn't hate, then how could he be a God of love? That might have shocked you a little bit. But I want you to listen to what else I've got to say. And I'm going to speak not from what I think, but what the Bible tells us. And it might shock some people if I say that. If God didn't hate, then how could he be a God of love? Remember, we are made in God's image. So we have feelings. We have reactions. So keep that in mind as well. We read verses 1 through to 15. The writer of the book of Proverbs in Proverbs 6 gives us a number of warnings in first, from verse 1 through to 15. He speaks of things that we should avoid. And he also tells us the consequences of not listening to his advice. From verse 17 through to 19, we have a summary of what he's been saying. Listen to this. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, high hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies and a person who stirs conflict in the community. But it's what the writer says in verse 16 that I want us to think about this morning. Verse 16. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven. Now let's stop for a moment. You will hear that as you go through the Bible. There are six things. Seven. Now this phrase We've got to understand it, how the first readers would understand it. It's a way of saying, I'll tell you a few things, but there's more. Do you get that? I'm going to tell you a few things, but there's more. And the Bible says, there are six, but maybe seven. 
But let's hear what he says. There are six things the Lord hates. Seven that he that are detestable to him. So he's saying there's a whole load of things that God hates. And these things are detestable to him. Keep this thought in mind. They are things. You got that? They are things. Some things you hate. Let's just take a few moments this morning as we think about what these things are. We're just going to very quickly go through them and just consider them and probably recognize them in ourselves and in other people. Haughty eyes. These are just the proud look of a person who's, who's full of their own importance, who ignores God and who refuses to give him his rightful place in their lives. It's pride. The haughty eyes. You've seen them when you go into a company where there are people who think they're better than you. And you get that little side glance, don't you? Have you had that? You know. Yeah. That's the haughty eyes. I don't want to know. I'm just not interested. Why? Because I'm full of my own importance and I'm better than you are. The haughty eyes. The proud look. The word of God says a lot about the dangers that are associated with pride. And he speaks a lot in his word about the importance of humility. Here's some advice from the Apostle Peter. You find it in 1 Peter 5 verse 5. And he is speaking to younger people, but he's speaking to everybody really. And in this passage he covers everybody. You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you, clothe yourselves in humility. How do you do that? Towards one another. Why? Because God opposes the proud, but shows favour to the humble. Who are the humble? They are those who recognise their position before God. They are the ones who are in the knowledge that they are sinners in God's sight. And that they need to be humbled. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus refers to the humble. He refers to them in this way when he says in Matthew 5 verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit. They're the ones who don't rely on their own knowledge. They turn to God. They are humble before God. And Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What about the next thing, a lying tongue? When we lie, it's often an effort to make ourselves seem better than we are. You know what we do? I do. I don't really mean to, but I find myself doing it. I exaggerate. You do, don't you? you why? To make yourself look better. And sometimes in that exaggeration, you might be emphasising certain points, but those little white lies come in. You know, Oh, you know what? I only slept 10 minutes last night. When me watch tells me that I slept for eight hours. <laughs> yeah, got it? Little white line. Okay. A lying tongue. 
Sometimes it's to impress. Other times it's to justify our actions in order to hide our guilt. Children do it all the time. Was it me? <laughs> Put it behind the back. We're guilty, and we want to justify our guilt. Acts 5, 1 to 9. We have here what is a very disturbing passage. It has a very drastic outcome. Was there for a reason? One reason it happened. It happened at a time when people need to know the truth. And they needed to know what a lie was. And they needed to know how important lies are. Because when we lie, we lie to God. I'm going to read you this passage. You could go into it in great detail. But we won't. We'll just take one or two points. It's in Acts. Acts 5. Now a man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. This is what the people were doing. The Christians were doing this. They were putting their money together so they could survive. They were selling property and they were giving it to the Lord. And they were getting blessed for it and they would look really good in front of all the other people there. And it was an encouragement. A man named Ananias, together with his wife Sapphira, also sold a piece of property. With his wife's full knowledge, he kept back part of the money for himself, but he brought the rest and put it at the apostles' feet. Then Peter said, Ananias, how is it that Satan has so filled your heart that you have lied to the Holy Spirit and have kept, your, have kept for yourself some of the money that you received for the land? Didn't it belong to you before it was sold? And after it was sold? Yes. Wasn't the money at your disposal? Yes. Well, what made you think of doing such a thing? You have not lied just to human beings, but to God. And when Ananias heard this, he fell down and died. And a great fear seized all who heard what had happened. And if we read on, we know the similar thing happens to Sophia, his wife. I said this is a horrific thing. It is. It's a horrific account that brings home the seriousness of telling lies and the seriousness of lying to God and showing how serious God treats those who lie. They had the option to do whatever they wanted with the money they had. And there was no need to suppress the truth. And they were hiding the truth from God. This hadn't been exposed, they would have been seen as being really good people. But God knew better. In John 8, Jesus speaks about those who refuse to believe the truth about who he is. What are they doing when they refuse to believe the truth? They're not accepting the truth, and then they are seeing it as a lie. This is what he said. This is Jesus speaking in John 8. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth. For there's no truth in him. And when he lies, he speaks his native language. For he's a liar and the father of lies. That's important, isn't it? There's some depth in that. 
Why should I believe Jesus? Why should I believe God? Well, the Bible tells us why. Writes of Hebrews in Hebrews 6. He says this, It's impossible for God to lie. God can't lie. It's impossible. Lies come from another source. Hands that shed innocent blood. The words of Jesus in Matthew 5. You've heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. For I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Racha, it is answerable to the court, anyone who says you fool will be in danger of fire and hell. Heading over Proverbs, is warning us against being foolish. David was king. The greatest king of Israel, still held as the greatest king of Israel, but he wasn't perfect. And he lied. And he shed blood. He shed innocent blood. He came to God humbly before him acknowledging what he did and God forgave him but there was a price to pay David wanted to build a temple that was his desire but God said no no not you David you got blood on your hands so you won't build the temple a heart that devises wicked schemes oh. Jeremiah You've heard this verse before, 17 verse 9. The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? It is, isn't it? We all have that, that ability to be deceitful. It comes from the heart. It comes from here. You know, you see a lot of these schemes. Schemes that are brought about by certain people. You read about them in the newspapers. You see it on the on the television. Well, listen to this. You don't have to be a high-flying industrialist to devise wicked schemes. Oh, they do, don't they? You don't have to be a politician to devise wicked schemes. Not all of them do, but some of them do, don't they? And we read about them. You don't have to be a world leader to be in the business of misleading people. We always seem to have a world leader. We've got one now. Misleading people. You know, you don't have to be any of those. You just have to be who you are. We all have the ability. And at some time or other, no matter how small, we do that. Feet that are quick to rush into evil. Romans 3, Paul speaks about those who are walking away from God, in particular the religious Jews who have rejected Jesus. And in Romans 3, verse 10 to 18, as it's written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God. All have turned away and have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. He's speaking to the scribes and the Pharisees here, the religious leaders. Their throats are open graves, their tongues 
practice deceit. The poison of vipers is on their lips. Their mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. And this is the bit. Their feet are swift to shed blood. What about a false witness? There's never a more relevant illustration of this. It's happened. It happened at the trial of Jesus before the crucifixion and those false witnesses were lying to God. You know, it's our responsibility and the responsibility of a witness to tell the truth. James 3 says, uh, in, in chapter 3, verse 1 to 12, he talks about taming the tongue. Read that passage. Taming the tongue. Why does the tongue mean taming? Well, we use it to lie. We use it to discredit people. We use our tongue to gossip. And that causes problems, doesn't it? What about a person who stirs up conflict in the community? Well, a troublemaker. You have troublemakers both inside and outside of the church. These things apply to all of us. So just as we close, as a summary of what we've been looking at, think about what we've been looking at. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, false witness who pours out lies, and a person who stirs up conflict in the community. Remember what I said earlier this morning. These are things that God hates. Get hold of that. These are things that God hates. They are the evidence of a sinful nature. And God hates our sinful nature. Why? Because it's our sinful nature that separates God from us. That separates us from the love that God has for us. He hates the things, but he loves us. God hates sin, but he loves the sinner. He shows his love to us by allowing his son Jesus to take the punishment that we deserve. That's what he did when he hung on the cross. He was taking your punishment, taking my punishment, that which we will receive if we meet God in glory without having Jesus as our saviour. Because he hates the sin. He'll love you. But it's too late if you haven't accepted Jesus. Jesus came to save sinners. The accusations made against him was that he met with sinners. Why? Because he loved them. He hated the things they were doing. The tax collectors. But you know, he, he loved the person. And he wanted to show his love to them. <coughs> the love that Jesus had for you and I 
is what led him to the cross. Because of who we are. Sins. You know, Elizabeth Celia McLaughlin, she lived 1830 to 1869. She wrote that hymn beneath the cross of Jesus. Let me just share as we draw to a close. Upon the cross of Jesus, mine eye at times can see the very dying form of one who suffered there for me and from my stricken heart with tears. Two wonders, I confess. The wonders of redeeming love and my unworthiness. Thessalonians 1, 5, 9. For God did not appoint us to suffer wrath, but to receive salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. He did not appoint us to suffer. <coughs> J.C. Ryle, I've quoted him quite a few times. He was the first bishop of Liverpool, you want to read some of his books, J.C. Ryle, great, great study books. Wonderful man. Way back when he was Bishop of Liverpool, he was telling, he was telling the church what was going to happen and it's happened. He warned the church what was going to happen and it happened. How did he warn them? He went to the scriptures and he brought in the scriptures the things that God wanted the church here in England to know and they didn't react. There's one thing he said. You might not quote it exactly. But he said the death of Jesus is sufficient for all. But it's only efficient to those who believe. Do you get that? The death of Jesus is sufficient for all. But it's only efficient to those who believe. Whoever believes in the Son as eternal life but whoever rejects the son will not see life for God's wrath remains on them I didn't say that that's in John 3 God doesn't hate you or I he hates the sin that separates us from him for God demonstrates his own love for us while we were still sinners Christ died for us when we use our eyes to see him and we know who he is when we commit our hearts to him then we can use our tongues to worship our hands to serve and our feet to walk with him you see he loves your hands and your feet and your tongue he uses it to talk about his church being part of the body he created us he created us in his image he loves your hands. He hates what they do sometimes. He loves your tongue. And sometimes he hates what you say. He loves your feet. And sometimes he hates where you walk. You know, if you loved a family member, a family member who had something in his life that prevented him accepting your love, you would hate that thing that pre pre prevented him. You're loving him, you're offering your love, but this thing, this thing, whatever it might be, is stopping him from accepting that love. You love him. You hate what he's doing. You go to the ends of the earth 
to put it right. And you tell that person, I've got the solution. And what do they do? No thanks. Do you love him? Yeah. Do you hate the things that separate you from him? Yes. Will he accept what you're doing for him? If God didn't hate, he couldn't be a God of love. And because God hates, God is a God of love. There's one little thing to think about as we finish. What's the opposite of love? You probably all thought, hate. It isn't. Hate is not the opposite of love. What is the opposite of love? Indifference. Indifference is the opposite of love. If you offer love to somebody and they reject it, why do they reject it? Because they don't care. Because they don't want to be bothered. Because they've got a couldn't care less attitude. And you know, the world has an indifference to God because they don't love him. Lord, for us to go with. We're going to sing our final hymn. And our final hymn is uh, number 266. I can't tell. 266. <laughs>